Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today is episode 198, and we have the Prez on with us. Daytona International Speedway President Frank Kelleher is our guest today. He obviously is gearing up for a wonderful, wacky, and hopefully dry (laughs) weekend of racing to close out the Cup Series regular season down at the World Center of Racing. So figured no better time than right now to get Frank on the line and chit-chat about all the happenings at DIS. And also, he's a very interesting guy, so I wanted to get into his career as well. We got a recap of Watkins Glen this past weekend and a quick preview of Daytona. As we mentioned, the regular season finale, 25 down one to go in the regular season so we'll see how it all plays out and we'll preview it up for you here today but before we do any of that the Wayback segment this week is going to pay homage to the number 98 and we will do so with Papa Siegel take it away dad thank you Duke, and welcome everyone to episode 198 last time around we looked back on two big stars of the 1960s Marvin Panch and Leroy Yarbrough for Yarbrough We noted his accomplishments, but also referenced two big crashes that cut his career short. I said that was another story for another day. Well, today is that day. Leroy Yarbrough, again, no relation to Kale, won 10 times in the 98 car and was the first NASCAR driver to win the Triple Crown of the Daytona 500, the Southern 500, and the World 600. When asked to describe his passion, he was quoted as responding that racing is what I call my life. Two hard crashes would ultimately take that life away from him. In April 1970, Yarbrough suffered a hard test crash at the old Texas World Speedway that left him disoriented and with short-term memory issues. He had no recollection of Cale Yarbrough picking him up and flying him home or going on to Martinsville or running the race there the following week. Junior Johnson, who said Leroy was the greatest driver he had as a car owner, recalled how when they would go out to dinner, Yarbrough would stare blankly at the plate of food delivered to him until someone would tell him to eat it. When NASCAR rides dried up for Yarbrough, he took up racing in Indy cars. He raced in three Indy 500s and was practicing for the 1971 race, won, by the way, by my fave, Al Unser, when he spun and crashed his Dan Gurney Eagle hard in turn one. Yarbrough spent the next few months in and out of hospitals. Some thought he had contracted Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever from a tick bite, but the Texas and Indy wrecks likely caused brain trauma, and he started to drink heavily. They were different times, my friends, before there was awareness of concussions and chronic brain injuries, 
and Yarborough would never recover. In 1980, Leroy Yarborough was watching TV with his mother when he spontaneously started to strangle her for no apparent reason. He was stopped by a relative who heard the mother's screams but was tried for first-degree attempted murder and assault on a police officer. The judge ultimately ruled that Yarborough was not guilty because he was unable to distinguish right from wrong, and he was placed into the custody of a mental hospital in Florida. On December 6, 1984, he suffered a violent seizure in the hospital and fell over, striking his head. He died from internal bleeding in the brain the next day. He was 46 years old. A star who shined bright for a short time, Leroy Yarbrough was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers in 1988. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Yes, thank you, Dad. Good uh, homage there to Leroy Yarbrough, as he says, the sad end to the life and legend that is Leroy. So appreciate you for that way back segment this week and every week. Let's start off this episode as we always do, and that is with a good old-fashioned and throw it straight over to my chat with Daytona International Speedway president. It's the man, the myth, the legend himself, Frank Kelleher. Now, one point before we get into this episode, and it's user error on my part. I forgot to hit the record button. Uh, Fear not, though. We did not have to do the episode over again. Forgot to hit the record button on my external recorder that I use, and then I mix the channels together. I don't know if you care about any of this, but basically, I was finishing one interview with somebody who I actually have taped already with for episode 200. Big guest, super excited. And I guess instead of pressing the pause button for him, I pressed the end button, and I wanted to press the pause button because then I was going to press the unpause button to start with Frank so the files could all be on one file so I didn't take up more space on my SD card. Anyways, I don't think that I did that correctly. (laughs) There's a first for everything. So this interview, it will not sound crystal clear as you're accustomed to hearing right now. It'll be Zoom quality. Content is still there. It's all the same, and hopefully it will be clear enough and concise enough for you to hear, listen to, and understand but just wanted to get that out there apologies for that right out the gate but frank was great he's a very interesting guy he's been in the sport for decades and he's actually worked for isc for literally not not kind of but literally his entire professional career and i think there's something to be said for that loyalty in terms of them to him and him to them as well but he's been in racing for his whole life he has worked in racing as a kid he has raced himself won races won championships even had success at the track that he now is the president of and we'll get into that conversation and those stories we covered a lot of ground with frank and so much that we weren't able to cover that i wish we could so we might have to have him back uh, on the show later on next year here's my chat with daytona international speedway president it is the man himself frank kelleher Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, the man whose house we are all descending upon this weekend at Daytona International Speedway, president of the World Center of Racing, Frank Kelleher. I'm sure that this is a very calm week for you. Not a whole lot going on. No media appearances. Nothing going on, right? I just woke up. I just woke up from a really and you big look great. It's It's been a very, very relaxing day. 
<laughs> relaxing week, relaxing year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, far, far from the truth, man. It's it's been a, a ton of fun. The months leading up to this event and uh, the weeks, and this will be my 21st summer race here at Daytona as an employee with NASCAR. Wow. And man, like I don't remember a Monday morning like this week of not only is the weather forecast, I know we're not supposed to talk about weather, but the weather forecast Knocking. looks amazing. And the storylines coming out of the Glen. I mean, it uh, the Watkins Glen was a real fun, fun race to watch as those storylines unfold at now with Bubba being on the bubble, Chase's whole analogy of, you know, going to Vegas and your last dollar in the slot machine. And I mean, Daytona always produces, right? I mean, it's, it's Daytona. Everybody wants to win for sure. The 500, but who doesn't want to leave the summer race as well with the W and this race has proven year over year that someone on the outside, not having the best year comes here, closes the deal and punches their ticket for the playoffs. So, um, I'm kind of hopeful that we have a, a, a 2023 first time winner on Saturday night. How busy uh, for you as a track president and just for the entire racetrack, everybody that goes and is employed about, you know, around the racetrack, how busy is this time of year and this week compared to speed week in February and the hype leading into the 500, would you say? Um, you know, this Daytona International Speedway, it is the world center of racing for a reason. The volume of events that go on here, I think would blow people's mind. Um, there is constantly action on the track. Um, everything from car clubs to NASCAR racing experience to Ferrari coming in and doing a takeover for 10 plus days, motorcycles, go-karts. I mean, we had the country's largest rock music festival in the spring with Danny Wimmer presents Rockville. We had over 170,000 people over four days. So um, by no means do we take this event lightly. I mean, NASCAR and IMSA is our bread and butter. AMA is our bread and butter. So, you know, we just work in reverse of the big events that are going on. And then we always just make sure that we have enough time for our ball field, the grass to be clean. Um, we want to get out there and make sure that all of the walls are painted, just all of those little fine tuning elements to really earn our customers value, right? Like they pay a lot of money. It's a lot of time to plan to get here that when you walk through the gates, like we want to maintain and earn world center of racing status. So it's, it's a lift, but, you know, just being candid, I mean, like when we wake up on January one, it's the roar and then the Rolex and then speed weeks and then right into bike week that that really is just a tremendous lift for this event. Like we're staffed for Q1. So, you know, we're fortunate enough that we've got amazing people that work here. They are so passionate about the world center of racing. They put blood, sweat, tears, and pride in it that I hate to say like, we don't look at it as work. Like it's, we, we enjoy what we're doing and it really makes us smile seeing the the stands full and just seeing seeing this property just in in great great condition you mentioned it i mean when the calendar turns to january you got the roar which is the rolex 24 event obviously leads into the 500 you got bike week supercross flat track music festivals i know you've had soccer games that have been played yeah. there yep. i mean 
what, what am I missing? Is I'm sure I'm missing a lot. I mean, there has to be something going on, if not maybe every other day close to it on the grounds there. You guys are not busy or not bored, I should say. So there, there is a couple things to mention, but I'll for sure share one. Um, for anyone out there with a, a Jeep Wrangler and in the Jeep community, we host the Southeast largest Jeep gathering. It's called Jeep Beach. It's run by a local family. It's a 5013C. They generate close to a million dollars in the community that they wow. give back to the community. And we have Jeep owners from around the globe coming to Daytona Beach. Um, it's a spectacle to check out. You know, that is just one of many other events that are going on here that are truly world class, uh, setting records, and again, just helping the overall economic impact. So before you got this role of president at Daytona, I believe that your your role essentially was business strategy and revenue generation, right? That that's obviously some corporate jargon there, but yes. I'm I'm able to understand that that's important. It's a big deal for a company like ISC and for a company like NASCAR. So when you got the role of president of Daytona, how specifically on kind of like a day to day basis did your role specifically? change because i'm sure you're still involved with the business strategy and revenue generation of things especially at daytona but now you are managing and president of an entire entity and racetrack Davia, yeah, i think the the best way that i could try to articulate like the transition and the different responsibility it's like i went to go work for a new company it's like i moved and went somewhere completely different the the role that i was in as chief sales officer, it was a very corporate job, not only responsible for developing NASCAR official partnerships, but in addition, being responsible for sales for all of the racetracks. So race entitlements, area naming rights, hospitality, official partners there. And it was a ton of fun. Like I loved it. It was a dream job to then, you know, have the honor to jump into this role it is very operational focused, very promoter focused, and has a lot to do way more with the backyard, with the community, the region, uh, government, things of that nature. Um, I have had my eyes opened up to a different side of the business that like I always knew it was there. And like I knew enough to be able to talk about it, but like I never was responsible for it or having to work uh, on the inside of it. And I got to say, it's been a ton of fun. Like I, you know, I still love um, coming up with solutions for corporate America and using NASCAR, no pun intended, like as the vehicle to sell more of their product or to introduce, you know, something new, a consumable good, um, or to help a, you know, a fortune 500 company hit their goals of their new strategy. Like that, that always fires me up seeing other people be successful but, you know, don't forget, I mean, at the heart, like I'm a racer, like I, I'm a two-time national champion with the World Karting Association. I grew up in my family's garage business. I was a mechanic. I drove a tow truck. Like I was supposed to live and die in Scranton, you know, slinging tires and selling cars. And now like this, this promoter role, it, it truly is the best of both worlds of, I understand the business side and how, what needs to happen. But man, like I know what it was like to be a kid going into the infield of Pocono Raceway and sitting on top of a pickup truck, you know, trying to get a glimpse of the cars go by and going up to the fence of the garage and trying to, you know, get an autograph from someone like 
I still love it. Like I still geek out about it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still a, a fan and I have still cousins and family that race and compete. Uh, the cart shop that I raced for and the Poconos, like I still talk, you know, to, to that man who was a father figure to me, like on a weekly basis. So um, for me, it's like best of both worlds and I still get to be that that race fan, but also, um, you know, really appreciate the business and kind of just want to, you know, I inherited it in a great spot, but I still want to leave it better than I found it, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I, I think it's it's really relatable in that aspect. And then another one, uh, one thing that you didn't mention when you were doing growing up as a kid is you snuck into racetracks just like every other yeah. kid. Don't <laughs> think I wasn't going to let you off the hook. I've done my research. I know that you did yeah, that man. just like every other kid back in the day. It shows your passion. That's it. I, I I joke about it, right? Like, I wonder what stories my kids will tell me or will tell their <laughs> friends like about me, like what oh, I yeah. did, you know, terrified them or scared them. But yeah, I mean, I was too young to get in the pits of the dirt track. So, you know, the family would pull over, I'd hop out of the pickup truck and jump in the trailer and they'd lock the door and I'd be like hanging on to a radius rod rack. And, you know, then I'd get my lecture of, you know, don't leave the pit, stay close. And, was like, uh, okay. And it's like, there's no way that I look cool enough to be in here. Like, it doesn't matter if I leave or if I stay, but, um, you know, that's, uh, that was part of the family business. You know, that's what we do. We, we sold tires, we sold racing fuel, we sold, you know, racing tires. Um, and we went to the, to the dirt track at the weekend. So, um, it was a lot of fun and, and I try to always just, you know, stay humble with that, you know, like, it's one thing that I, I, you know, enjoy getting out there and seeing the fans and hearing their stories of how long they've been coming to Daytona. And even this morning, we were out there greeting our tent campers um, and just asking, like, hey, what are we doing well? What could we be doing better? And you always walk away from that conversation of like, yep, like th there are always little things that we could tune up and uh, we'll make notes and we'll follow up. Is it true that you still race from time to time in a maybe NASCAR uh, business execs league, go-karting league of sorts that Ben Kennedy also may be a part of? Is this true? Uh, there, it, it is true, but you know what, man? You bring up a good point. It's been a minute since we've been at the local indoor track banging wheels. But Let's run yeah, it back. There's, there's a group, group in the office. We would get together. We would try every other week, like on Wednesday night. And the, the indoor track just up the road, they have an oval and then they have a road course, all electric carts. And um, it just was a ton of fun. It was a great way to blow off some steam and, you know, to kind of lean on the boss man a little bit, if, if you could oh, yeah. catch him and uh, have some fun <laughs> with it. He is fast. He is fast. I did race Ben at GoPro last summer. Okay. We did a company outing and, uh, we had like five heat races and a main event. And I think I won four of five heat races until Ben came and then he beat me. And then in the main event, we checked out. Um, there was a crash coming through a right hander. He got through it clean. I didn't. I came in second. People claim that I let him win, but I did it. He just he got through <laughs> it a little smarter than I did. Not that you guys need help selling tickets, but if and when that time ever comes, I think that you guys just need to put on a race between you two on the go-kart course inside Daytona. That'll sell some tickets, Frank. That would. That would. You know, I, I love that track. I was out there with um, our 
uh, some folks from our ops team and I was driving the course with them in my car and just kind of highlighting some bumps and some elevation changes and all of that. And, you know, that's just another example of, I try to look at it through the eyes of those parents that are towing a trailer from Michigan, you know, in December to be here to race cart week. And when they come to Daytona, like, yeah, I mean, th there's that feeling when you come through the tunnel, but I as well also look at it as like, man, like I, I want this to be one of the premier, you know, karting tracks that we have to offer. Um, but as I've learned in the last two and a half years as well, like there is something about, you know, the history and it being old and older and maybe not like what we have at Homestead Miami Speedway, where, you know, that cart track is truly set up primo for today's modern, you know, two cycle Rotax world, you know, but there is something about our go-kart track here. It's a driver's track and it's going to beat the drivers up, but may the strong survive. That's right. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier too, but you are a racer yourself, WKA karting champion. And uh, I think if I have my research right, you correct me if I'm wrong. Did you win a race at Daytona or did you finish runner up? Close. Uh, runner up. Damn. Um, almost so, a full circle moment. Almost. Almost. So pre-wife, pre-kids. So about 11 years ago was the last time that I competed in a sanctioned WKA event. We had an intern at the time and he was like top of his game with WKA and their uh, road racing series. So lay down enduros. I had never done a lay down enduro. I was more sprint road course racing. Anyway, uh, I raced VIR with him. I raced in, I think, Woodbridge Cart Club. Um, and then they raced here in Daytona in December. Uh, I started ninth out of 45 guys. I took the lead on the second lap. And then I screwed up coming out of turn four, uh, the last lap with the draft and ended up coming in second place. Um, but it was just a ton of fun, you know, and it was so cool being around all those carters and just, you know, everyone's like, we, we raced Daytona and everyone on the, after the checkered flag, when, um, when you're racing, when you enter NASCAR turn one, you would drive the cart right up to the wall and then get a run downhill to the apron. But on the last lap, everyone just runs the wall, which, you know, when you're laying down with your butt an inch off the ground going 100 miles an hour against the wall, it was pretty trippy. You are a racer because you never forget, just like the race car drivers <laughs> oh. nowadays, huh? I know right where I screwed up. <laughs> and you remember it all these years later, too. I yep. shouldn't be surprised. I don't know why I am. Um so you mentioned that when you moved from the prior role you had to track president, it felt like working for a completely different company and learning all these new things. But I believe you have only worked for this one company, basically your entire professional career, because you started out as an intern, you got different jobs in different places, worked your way up all now to being the president of Daytona, but working for just one company for all these years, that's not something a lot of people can say. No, it's it's really crazy in today's, you know, modern era. Um, I mean, right now, kind of the the play, the format is, you know, you get your start, you kind of bounce around here here and there, but you you nailed it. I I interned 21 years ago. I drove down from Pennsylvania, worked for ISC as an intern in their corporate office. Um I so I the year prior, I won two national championships. So I took racing off to intern. And, um, you know, I remember leaving here thinking like, well, if I can't make it behind the wheel, how cool would it be to, to work work in the sport? So um, 
I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. I stayed in touch with all the great people that I met and was fortunate. They offered me a job a month before I graduated college. So graduated on a Sunday, was in my car Tuesday, was a marketing marketing coordinator Thursday. And I've been with the France family since. And um, it has been corporate for those 17 years, either managing corporate accounts or then on the sales side. Uh, before the merger, I was overseeing all the commercial business. So partnership marketing, sales, and integrated media. So I did sales for MRN. Um, and then on the other side of the merger, I came out the chief sales officer for NASCAR. And I've always just enjoyed it. You know, like th there have been other opportunities along the way, but I think as we just been like chatting about, like I'm a racer at heart. I came from a family business working for a really big family business. And, um, I just, every day I still learn and I still get challenged. And one thing about the fabric of this place, it's like, if you're doing your job and you're doing it well, if you do have interest in other areas, no one's going to tell you no. Like no one's going to say, no, don't go help out grassroots racing or don't go help out the content team. It's like, yeah, man, like if that's a great idea, go talk to those people. And if you could help them out. So I still feel like every day I wake up and I've got an opportunity to be successful, to learn. And um, also, you know, now in a leadership role to help influence people in their careers, like culture is something that I take seriously. And it's important to me that, you know, kind of control the controllables. There's a lot I can't control, but man, like when you work in racing, it should be fun to show up and go to work every day. And, you know, my mentality you know, the race is right, right around the corner. I relate it to it's like the planes in flight, man. Like there's not a whole lot that we can do until we land and we're not going to land till the checkered flag drops. So yeah. in the meantime, like, let's not forget, like people are coming here to have a blast and a good time. Let's try to have them, you know, smile as much as they can and make it easy and um, just enjoy it. So who's your boss? Is it is it Lisa, Mike, Ben, Steve, your wife, all the above? Like, who do you uh, report to? You you nailed it, man. I, I, I have uh, many, many to serve. Uh, my wife and kids, first and foremost. And Good my man. son is so thrilled to be out here. Um, my daughter, one minute she's in, the next minute she doesn't know if she wants to come out. But my, my son is so excited to come out. I, I love seeing the smile on his face. My wife works in sports as well. Um, that's actually how we met many, many moons ago. Cool. Uh, from a day-to-day -day standpoint, I report into Chip Weil. I've known Chip for 20 years. Um, he's a great buddy. He has a ton of experience from the team side to MRN, to Darlington, to Daytona. So it's kind of a good balance of him now jumping into a corporate role. That was, you know, my old gig in regards um, and then, yeah, beyond that, I mean, it's, it's, uh, Mr. France and Lisa and Ben, as well as Phelps and O'Donnell and, you know, Helton's in the business every day or in the building every day as well. So, yeah. um, th they're all just tremendous people to work for and, uh, real easy to have fun with as well. In the uh, couple minutes I have left with you, I want to get to some fun questions, but I heard that you stayed in an RV. I don't know if it was in February or last August. What's that all about? Are you staying in an RV at the racetrack these days? I am. So when I when I got in this role, Chip was like, hey, man. So I got in this role, and this, this summer race was my first race as the track president. And Chip was like, all right, um, 
you're going to stay in the infield and a coach. And I'm like, no, I'm not like, dude, I live 20 minutes up the road. Like why, why? And he's like, no, like, I really think you need to be here. You got to remember the volume and the amount of campers that we have and just everything in and out. And I was like, I never thought about that. Like, that makes sense. Like if I'm the president of this place and power goes out or there's an issue, like I, I need to be here for my team and for my people. So all of our major events, I live in the infield. So uh, an RV will be there. I was at the grocery store yesterday getting last minute things, making sure I got tons of candy and cereal for the kids uh, to get them through the weekend. And I will be a Speedway resident uh, starting tonight. And then I will check out on Sunday. I do the same for the Roar, for the Rolex, for Speed Weeks, wow. as well as for Bike Week. Uh, Rockville, I do go home just simply camping. We do camping, but it's not to the volume that we do during our motorsports events. So your whole family's camping. It's not just you and the RV. So for the for the roar, uh, my family will stay with me, and then for the Rolex, they will be home. And then for this weekend, uh, it'll be a first. But my son, he is he's joining the DIS team, and he's going to be with me. Uh, in the RV all weekend long. Nice. So he just started third grade. He's now an Eric Almarola fan. So he'll be out there uh, supporting the bacon car. And uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see if his eyes are open at, at the end of the night, though. He's, yes. I, I don't know. We'll, we could take bets on that if he's if he's going to make it till the end. I guess time will tell. Well, um, pun intended, but you can give him some Coke Zero Sugar and maybe some Wawa subs to keep him awake, huh? Yes. I was at Wawa this morning getting of uh, you were. <laughs> getting my dark roast coffee to get my day started. There you I go. See the, their location here almost from my office. And being a Pennsylvania guy, uh, stopping in a Wawa and grabbing a coffee was always a treat. It's the way to go. Uh, last thing, how many Blazers do you have? And will you be the best dressed man at Daytona? Or will that be Jordan Bianchi? That uh, so Jordan wants a shot at the title and and I will give him credit where credit is due. He definitely goes for the flair and yep. uh, he he definitely, you know, he's he's got his own style, which is appreciated. You'll uh, actually be wearing a shirt. He won't be. Yeah. Like, I, I think, you know, that show How I Met Your Mother, there's that one guy. I think like he has a, a suit pajama uh -huh. set that he sleeps in. I think Jordan might have one of those as well. The more skin uh, and the more hair, the better for him. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> listen, I've tried to pull the blazer off in the summer race. It's just a lot. I mean, you, you, you can smile as much as you want, but you're just a sweaty mess under it to where I'm going to be rocking a, a Daytona polo. Um, and I will look as sharp as I can, but no, during the Rolex and speed weeks, I'll for sure try to bust out a new coat as far as a number of coats that I have, coats and suits total, I'd probably say around 20. And wow. though, but that's going back to, again, like my old gig to where sure. it was, I mean, there was a moment in my career, like suit and tie five days a week. Yeah. Um, and I really don't throw clothes away all that much. I'm kind of a hoarder with that. So uh, <laughs> I, I got a nice collection. Um yeah, so we'll uh, we'll try to bust out something new for for next year's 66th running of the Daytona 500. There you go. I don't think that that's anything to be ashamed of. I think that's just you're smart. It's August in Daytona Beach, so you don't yeah. want to be a hot pile of sweat. It's it's toasty, man. But uh, <laughs> being a Floridian now for 21 years, you get you get used to it. I can imagine. Well, 
Frank, I so appreciate your time. This is one of the busiest weeks of the year for you. So I really appreciate you carving out some time for me. Um, I'm sad to not be there this weekend, but I will be there in spirit and I will be watching, having some Coke Zero Sugar and eating some Wawa along with you guys. So best of luck it. this weekend and we'll see you soon. Well, thank you, Davey, for making time for me. You will be missed and uh, let's chat post-race, okay? Gotcha. And we are back. Whew, man, what a guy. What a story. Uh, and what a awesome, awesome weekend we have coming up at Daytona. I cannot wait to see how Frank and the gang out there at DIS get everything in tip-top shape, ready to rip, rock, and roll. And I, uh, I wish I could be down there for it, but I will see you in February, my friend Frank. And thank you also to Steph Harris, the wonderful, incomparable Steph Harris, for helping coordinate that conversation and working through some schedule snafus with me. So deeply, deeply appreciated, Steph. I so appreciate you, your work, and everything you do and continue to do for us people in the media and NASCAR in general. Let's shift gears here and talk a little bit about Watkins Glen International, the race that we had over the weekend. Not a whole lot to say, to be honest. William Byron obviously was the man who came out on top, dominated the race. Only one caution for cause, that being Chase Elliott, Byron's teammate, running out of fuel in the bus stop. And uh, other than that, there really just wasn't a whole heck of a lot of action going on. Michael McDowell, he was kind of slicing and dicing his carving his way throughout the field. But a couple pit road penalties, being driving through too many boxes on the driver error side and a crew member over the wall too soon on the pit crew side, kind of doomed his fate. And then an engine issue sealed the deal. So he was out of the running. Chase Elliott ran out of fuel. He was out of the running. And it wound up being Willie B's race to lose. Spoiler alert, he did not lose it. Um, that's honestly all I got, y'all. There, there really just wasn't a whole lot going on. I don't think that it was a good race. I don't think that it was a bad race. I just think that it was a race. And you know what? When you got 36 points paying ones in a whole year, you're going to have some that are like this. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So we move on to Daytona International Speedway for the regular season finale. I'm very excited to see what happens this weekend. I don't even think it's really worth giving you the lay of the land as it comes to the point standings because here's the deal. Bubba's in. Everybody else is out. And everybody behind Bubba probably needs to win. Daniel Suarez, mathematically, he can point his way in. But he's got to win. Travis Mack, his crew chief on Sirius, basically said, yeah, we got to win. Ty Gibbs, he's got to win. Austin Sindrick, AJ Allmendinger, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, Corey LaJoy, anybody that is behind them, they need to win to make the playoffs. And that is what makes this race so damn compelling. Because you can't tell me that Ty Dillon doesn't have a shot. No disrespect to Ty Dillon. I think he's the last right now in terms of charter cars in the points. Maybe the 78. But Ty Dillon has a shot. 77 cars won at Daytona last time I checked. Mm-hmm. This race even. His teammate Corey LaJoy, he's got a shot. Todd Gillen, great shot at winning. Front Row Motorsports, we know how good they are. And Chase Elliott, he can absolutely do it. Alex Bowman, so can he. Ty Gibbs, no question. And any of the 15 guys that are locked into the playoffs, including Brad Keselowski and Kevin Harvick, that clinched spots on points last week due to a repeat winner, they can do it too. Because I believe both of them have won this race in the past, and obviously they have won on super speedways before. So the fact that there are so many different odds and ends and possibilities of guys that can win their way in and that need to win their way in, 
That makes this so, so compelling, and I am excited to see how it all plays out. And by the way, Mother Nature, please play nice with us. Uh, this weekend, Coke Zero Sugar 400, it will get going on Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. And real quick, before we go this week, want to mention that uh, Netflix documentary that was announced this week. It's going to be chronicling the 10 race playoffs for the 2023 season. The documentary is going to release in early 2024. I am so, so, so happy that this is happening. And I'm so excited that they're doing this. I have said for so long, basically since Drive to Survive came out, that NASCAR needed to do something similar. Copycat. Carbon copy. It, and if you, you're going to get called copycats, whatever. Lean into it. Be like, yeah, it worked really well. We want to showcase our product too. Now, I will say this. This is not going to have near the effect in terms of driving popularity, boosting ratings, interest, etc. that Drive to Survive did on Formula One. Hope I'm wrong. Hope it does. I just don't think that there's any way in hell that that's going to happen. But you know what this is going to do? It's going to put NASCAR on a streaming service that is available to, I believe, over 200 million users worldwide. That is reach, my friends. That is so ultra important to get your brand out into faces and communities that are not usually accustomed to seeing your brand, hearing your brand, understanding what you are and how you do things. So putting the series on USA last year was great. I watched every episode. I was compelled. It was drama. It was excitement. It was so, so well done. Like Emmy-winning stuff, legitimately. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a homer. Like it was so well produced, well shot, edited, done. Like it was phenomenal. The problem is, in my opinion, why it didn't really get ratings or was that popular is because of where and when it was. 9 or 10 p.m., whatever it was, Thursday nights on USA. I understand USA is in a lot of households in the U.S., but nobody's going to seek out watching that unless you are a diehard NASCAR fan or USA Network fan. If you have Netflix, which, again, over 200 million people do, you may not seek out watching NASCAR or watching this NASCAR series, but you know what you may do? Like a lot of people do, especially my age. You're bored on a weeknight? Let's flip on Netflix, see what they got, see what's new. Oh, this NASCAR. Oh, what is that? Watch the trailer. Trailer's going to be badass, obviously. Oh, well, maybe I'll see if I can do this. Let's watch episode one. Okay, and here's another thing. The USA series, again, it was phenomenal, but it was weekly. It came out week after week after week. This is going to be five episodes of 45 minutes apiece, and it's going to come out all at once. So you can binge the you-know-what out of it. If somebody that I was just using that analogy watches the first episode and they've got another hour of their time and they say, huh, I want to know what happens next. Let's keep going. They keep going and they keep watching. And before you know it, they watched all five episodes. They're hooked. They're a NASCAR fan. They're saying, I can't wait to get to Daytona. I can't wait to watch how this season plays out. And I'm a NASCAR fan. God damn it. That's what we want. Right? And I've been asking for this for so long, and I know what you're probably saying. David hasn't played out yet. What if the series doesn't even happen? What Nobody's going to watch. Blah, 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 blah. That's not the point. The point is NASCAR's trying, man. They're not just trying. They're doing. Right? They did this series before, and it was so good. And now they got producers that have done the last dance. 
They've done OJ Made in America, Dale Frickin' Jr., Ben Frickin' Kennedy, Tim Frickin' Clark. These are people that know the sport inside and out and will make sure that the people that don't know the sport as well as they do get it right. There's people that are put in place to do their jobs to the best of their ability. And by the way, their jobs have netted them Emmy Awards. They have netted them all different types of accolades in the film, documentary industry. And now they're coming to our playground. And they're going to make sure that our sport is spotlighted in an awesome, awesome way. If you like Drive to Survive, if you like The Last Dance, if you like OJ Made in America, if you like Full Swing, if you like Quarterback, then this will be for you. And if you didn't like any of that, give it a try. 45 minutes of your time when it comes out in early 2024 you don't like it don't watch but 45 minutes i think you can afford that give it your time and that party people will wrap up episode 198 here on victory lane appreciate you sticking with me and dealing with my uh, audio issues again i really apologize for that uh not will not happen again hopefully and i know it won't happen next week because i have already recorded with next week's guest Darian Grubb, crew chief for Trackhouse Racing's Project 91 entry and director of performance on a day-to-day basis there at Trackhouse. Excited that I got to chat with him. He's a really interesting guy as well. He has been around the block a time or two or three or four or five or six. He's a champion in the Cup Series. He has won almost every single big race that this sport has to offer, and he has incredible perspective and insight He shared some of that here with us and shared some of his story as well. So excited for you guys to hear that chat. And also, if you like what you heard here today with Frank, please leave me a rating and a review. You can do that on iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, the green app. You know what I'm talking about? Anywhere you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, please drop me a line. I will try to rectify that issue for you. Thanks for your support this week and every week. Dairy and Grub next week and a special guest for episode 200 in a couple weeks. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it, and I cannot wait to talk to you guys right here in Victory Lane next week. So long, party people.